The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D. Now, here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Thank you for listening with us today. I'm so glad that you've joined us. We've got another great program for you. I know it's going to touch your heart. I know it's going to get you thinking and um, get you uh, deepening your own spirituality and recovery walk. I want to thank you also for liking the Spirit of Recovery page on Facebook. Thank you for posting on the Spirit of Recovery wall and for sending me emails from time to time about what's happening for you in your spirituality and recovery walk. It's great to hear what's happening for you. It's great to know that what we're doing is making a difference to you and that um, it's, it is having an impact on what's going on for you in your world, and that's a big deal. So thanks for letting me know about that. I also want to thank you for letting your friends and the people in your recovery community and your Unity community know about us here on unityonlineradio.org. I am delighted to have the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of spirituality and recovery and um, again to know that what we're doing is making a difference, that it's touching your heart, opening your mind, opening some new possibilities, some avenues, some broader uh, understanding and engagement with this whole wonderful process of spirituality and recovery. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community with guests who are down to earth, knowledgeable and innovative, people who are either in recovery themselves or who work with or write for recovering people and sometimes all of the above. And my guests are always bringing practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you thinking. You can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can listen live via your computer. You can listen via your smartphone. You can go to Stitcher.com and download their app and search for Spirit of Recovery. Also, you can listen on demand anytime you want to. Spirit of Recovery is available to you 24-7. Just go to the uh, archive podcasts. Go to unityonlineradio.org slash program slash Spirit of Recovery, and you will find years' worth of amazing guests with lots and lots to share with you. I want you to know that Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place, so if you're a person in recovery from any kind of an addiction, um, you're welcome. If you're a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, um, you may be as a family member in your own recovery, as a family member or friend of somebody that's got the disease of addiction, or maybe you're not in recovery or Don't know anything about all this stuff, but you're curious, you're interested, and we're glad you're here. So whatever your situation, you're welcome here. You're welcome to email or call in a comment or question on the topic for my guest, and um, we're just glad you're here. It's open to everybody. 
I want you to know also that if you would like to financially support UnityOnlineRadio.org, and it is a nonprofit venture, um, you can do so. And that uh, anything you give financially helps to support uh, Spirit of Recovery as well as the many other wonderful spiritual programs here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. So if you would like to make a financial contribution, you can make a one-time gift or a recurring contribution. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone and you can make a difference if you would like to do that and make a contribution to this nonprofit radio venture. Again, my name is Anna Schaus, and I am your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a Unity Minister, and I'm also an Addictions Counselor. Also, I'm a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people that have the disease of addiction. And almost 35 years ago, I can't believe that, those relationships were a catalyst that got me started on an active path of personal growth and spiritual development. And I am so grateful because that's made all the difference in my life. And ever since that time, my walk has been an integration of unity and recovery principles. And that keeps transforming my life. It keeps me growing keeps me balanced, and keeps my life vital. So I am grateful and delighted to have the opportunity to share these ideas about recovery and spirituality with you and to hear what's happening for you and what you're experiencing on your spirituality and recovery walk. Our topic today is uh, one that I hope does really um, get you going and gets you thinking and gets you listening to your higher power. And here's the topic. It's, are you doing what you came here to do? It's time to get with it. You know, every one of us has a spiritual purpose in life. Um, and we're, we're, we're here. You don't get an earth plane without having a purpose. That's just how it works. And we all have one. And the willingness to fulfill that purpose um, will dissolve those old feelings of uselessness and self-pity. Because once persons engage in the recovery process or engage in a spiritual growth process, what happens is we stop being so self-centered and we start understanding ourselves as a self, a healthy self, that's a part of the great oneness of life. And we start knowing what it means to be of service. So, you know, and everything that anybody learns in the midst of addictive disease or whatever struggles we might have is not wasted, but it definitely is a preparation. It prepares us when we get into our spiritual growth, when we get into recovery, to give from our spiritual depth and meaning. My guest today is Marilyn Davis. Marilyn was with us a few months ago and shared some wonderful ideas about the work that she does, and she's going to uh, share some things with us today about being uh, living on in your spiritual purpose. And she's going to share, uh, among many other things, she's going to share her story of how she found her purpose and where it has led her. Um, Marilyn is a recovery curriculum author. She advocates for and writes to the addicted population. And she opened and ran an award-winning women's recovery home for 21 years. Uh, she is now working in program development with a men's recovery house. She does lots of other things, too, which you'll hear about. But Marilyn created the Tears Process, T-I-E-R-S, which focuses on empowerment through healthy choices and constructive relationships. And she recently celebrated 27 years of abstinence-based recovery. She's writing her memoir. It's called Finding North, A Woman's Journey from Addict to Advocate, and that will be published this year. And also Marilyn blogs at fromaddicttoadvocate.blogspot.com, and it's addict, the number two, advocate, from addict to advocate.blogspot.com. And she also blogs at Two Drops of Ink, and that's two spelled out, T-W-O, Two Drops of Ink, at wordpress.com, a literary blog. And Two Drops of Ink is, uh, is a literary blog. It's for writers and it was named one of the 2016 100 best sites for writers. Um, you can also learn more about her tears program to at www.tiersrecovery.net. So Marilyn, thank you for being my guest again. It's great to have you back on Spirit of Recovery. Thank you, Anna. I'm really glad to be here today. Marilyn, I, as you know, in your tears, uh, 
process that you wrote, we know that choice, making choices is a really important part of that. And that's a big, uh, important part of the work that you do with people that are in recovery and, and a big part of your own life. Tell us a little bit about what choice making is and why it's important. Well, I think for many of us, um, when we get into early recovery, we are so afraid of making choices because we have just recently come out of a life where we've made so many poor choices. And so the, the mere thought of making a choice absolutely paralyzes some people. Um, however, choice Doing nothing is a choice. So I had a conversation today with one of the men here on property, and he was questioning whether or not his last use was truly a bottom, that it did not seem drastic enough. And I said, but you can choose it as your bottom. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, you can say to yourself, I choose this to be my bottom. And I watched him just light up. I mean, that was so empowering for him. He said, you know, Marilyn, that might be the first healthy choice I've made in 15 years. And I said, what a wonderful one to make. And with that note, he left my office. And, you know, he's in a really good mood. He's feeling empowered. So choice is something that we can embrace in our recovery. If we're uncertain, the lovely part about the recovery journey is the fact that there are so many people who are on that path, that's their walk, I think is how you refer to it, and we don't have to make those choices without guidance. There's always going to be someone who is willing to share their experience, strength, and hope and so if we emulate them, oftentimes we're going to get the same kind of positive results. So mm-hmm. choice is a gift of recovery. It just really is. Right. You know what I love about uh, what you just shared there, Marilyn, is it sounds like like a lot of us, most, most human beings, we wonder kind of in the external, like we look outside of ourselves and say, well, mm-hmm. According to whatever, whoever, whatever's in our heads about what the external measuring stick is, is that, was that it? But what you did was you said, basically, who cares? What, what's in you? Are you willing mm-hmm. to say that's it? Is that, yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's where the power comes from, I think, is when we say, I'm going to choose, I'm going to decide. Yes. Yeah. What's, what's what? Yeah. That's really something. That's that's really uh, very very powerful. You know, when people when we're out there, you know, before recovery or before spiritual growth, as you're saying, a lot of times we've made poor choices or or kind of let no choice be the choice, and mm-hmm. it's it it doesn't really go anywhere positive. It's sort of like being on a some kind of crazy fair ride, I think. You're not really going anywhere. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a fun Ferris wheel at all. No. <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. And and right. there, too, I, I, I like that, that sort of picture. You know, most of us were not willing to just, as it came to the bottom and we had an opportunity to jump off, I mean, we just, most of us could not make that choice. And so for many of us, I was, I'm the product of an intervention. You know, so other people initially made that, that, um, oh, you know, what am I thinking of? That gave me that ultimatum and mm-hmm. said, here are your choices. You can either go to treatment or you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. And I'm very glad that I made the choice that I did, which was to go to treatment. Um, but I think for a lot of us, we stay stuck on that horrible Ferris wheel, not realizing that, you know, we can get off of it. Right. And it doesn't go anywhere, you know, as, as today, you yeah. know, we're thinking about purpose. It's like, 
you know, it's, it's not going anywhere or, or it's going places, random places that aren't fun. So it's, right. that whole sense of purpose isn't there, you know, before we start waking up. It's just not there. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it... Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say that I think when, you know, when we're in the depths of our addiction and we're making all of these poor choices, I mean, we do not see that that at some point in time will in fact have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and that purpose oftentimes is to let another person realize I've walked in your shoes. I am the mother who gave their gave her daughters up. I am the woman who sacrificed marriages to use. You know, I and now this is what I've done. And so those things that are for a lot of people incredibly shame based and embarrassing really have a purpose. They are to let another individual know you can come out of this. You can start making different choices. And it's a you know, it's what recovery has given me and that is a different way to look at all of the things that I did wrong. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's like that, you know, as in the in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, of course, you know, what it says about that no matter how far down the scale uh, one has gone, you can see how that it can be a benefit to others. I, that's not the exactly. direct quote. But, yeah, that's such an amazing um Revelation, and so contradictory to what we tend to think, I think, in our culture, which is you better do it all right, and you better get it right, and if you, the parts that you goofed up, you should, like, kind of paint them over there, and and don't let anybody know that you did those things. It's a reversal. I think that must be a very, very incredibly lonely life, to think that you've got to do everything right. I probably wouldn't leave the house if that was if I thought that. <laughs> right. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure. I, you know, I could probably Google it. But how many people really learn from their successes mm-hmm. and how many people really learn from their, in quote, failures? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like you have to learn what doesn't work. And, right. And, right. Yeah. Right, and get some motivation um, to go forward and do something different, right? And that's where then we all, you know, come into play. Um, I used to tell the women at the house that I I was not sure what they had come there to teach me, but that each and every human being um, is, is a teacher as well as a student. And I got that life lesson very early on, um, I was about nine years old, and I'd write a paper for school on the most important man in my life, but I was not allowed to write about my father. So I thought, well, okay, I'll write about the President of the United States. And I was telling my dad about it, and he interrupted me, which was kind of unusual. And he said, do you hear that noise? And I was real dismissive with him. I said, oh, that's just the trash truck. And he said, yes, it is. Let's go outside so you can meet some important men. Mm. And I went outside with him. And as we were walking, he said, you know, Marilyn, I travel. And I don't want your mom. This is in rural Tennessee. He said, I don't want your mom burning trash. There could be a big fire. Um, Your mom can't haul it off. And so these men make my life and your life easier. And then when I'm home on the weekend, we can have family time. And my dad actually stopped them and said, I would like my daughter to meet you all because you're important men in her life. Mm, Wow. Yeah. And one of the men started laughing and he said, you know, the only people that think I'm important are in my family because I put food on the table. And I have remembered that. I mean, I am 68 years old. 
I remember that like it was yesterday. You know, we have an idiom about not judging a book by its cover, but it's applicable for people, too. Right. And to only be important to your immediate family, I th- you know, I thought that was really sad because that person has something to share. They have wisdom. And if more of us would just take the time to listen, and I think we writers tend to do that, you know, we listen to conversations. We may not be real good at parties about entering into them, but we're listening. And it's in the listening that we learn, not in the talking. It's in the mm-hmm. listening. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, yeah. Thank, thank you for that story. It's time for our break. Um, Listeners, stay with us. We'll be right back. Our topic is, are you doing what you came here to do? It's time to get with it. And my guest is Marilyn Davis, and she blogs at fromaddicttoadvocate.blogspot.com. She's writing her memoir. It'll be published this year. Stay with us. We'll be right back on Spirit of Recovery. If Unity Online Radio has helped you grow spiritually through programs like this one, please consider supporting this online radio programming. Visit www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Thank you for helping us continue to serve as the voice of an awakening world. Someone once said there are two ways to get to the top of an oak tree. Climb the tree or plant an acorn and wait. If we expect changes to happen in our lives, we may want to consider climbing. Plus, changes needn't be monumental. Sometimes it's as easy as an attitude shift. Life is what we bring to it. Do you have a job that seems less than exciting? When you walk through the door, bring joy with you. Life looks better when viewed through a positive attitude. Are you facing a health challenge or surgery? Get rid of your fears by focusing instead on spirit working in and through you. When you remember that with God all things are possible, your outlook cannot help but change. Today, wherever you go, whatever you face, do so with joyous expectations. Release your inner splendor and allow the light and love of God to guide your way. This Mindful Moment is brought to you by Daily Word magazine. Finding time for the positive reminders in Daily Word is easy with the digital edition, perfect for smartphones and readers on the go. Give it a test run with our 30-day free trial offer. Learn more at unityonlineradio.org slash dailyword. Somewhere. Tucked away in the Unity Library archives in Unity Village, Missouri, you can find a secret treasure. They are the scripts from Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore's early days on broadcast radio. The teachings of Unity's founders, almost a 100 years old. Now, for the first time in history, you can hear them through the power of the Internet. Join Bob Brock every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, for Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore's talks and of other Unity Radio speakers read on the air again. Call in your comments and questions as Bob and his special guests revisit Unity Radio talks of the past, along with historical background from the early days of the Unity movement. That's Unity Classic Radio. Words from our past. Every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Right here on Unity FM. The voice of an awakening world. Thanks for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus and her guest. If you have a question or comment or experience with today's topic that you'd like to share... Call us now at 888-55-UNITY. That's 888-558-6489. Call now or email us at spiritofrecovery 
at unityonlineradio.org. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. If you're just joining us, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your host, and our topic today is, Are You Doing What You Came Here to Do? It's Time to Get With It. And my guest is Marilyn Davis. She's going to be uh, sharing with us some more today about her own story. She's a person in long-term recovery. She just celebrated uh, 27 years of abstinence-based recovery. She is also a writer. She blogs at From Addict to Advocate blogspot.com and that's addict the number two advocate she also blogs at two drops of ink at wordpress.com and that too is spelled out TWO which is a literary blog it's uh, received an award this year from one of as one of the 100 best sites for writers also you can learn more about Marilyn's work at tearsrecovery.net and that's T-I-E-R-S recovery.net and that is a recovery curriculum all about choice making and based in the idea of, of the the power of choice for people in recovery. Um, Marilyn ran a an award-winning women's recovery home for 21 years. She now is a program developer and works with a men's recovery house. And um, she's sharing with us uh, about her life purpose and how she found that. Before I get back to my conversation with Marilyn, I invite you to join me in a brief uh, moment of quiet, of meditation, sharing with me a constructive idea in the Serenity Minute. So I invite you to relax, to feel that peaceful presence of your higher power, allowing relaxation to move from the crown of your head all the way through your body temple so that you are relaxed, your mind and your heart are open. And share with me this constructive idea. I have a divine purpose. I am an important part of life. I open my mind and heart to my higher power's voice, my higher power's way of fulfilling my life purpose. I have a divine purpose. I am an important part of life, and I open my mind and heart to my higher power's way of fulfilling my divine spiritual purpose. And so let's take a moment now in the quiet. for sharing with me in the Serenity Minute, and I hope that it was an opportunity for you to take a moment to step back and hear and feel the presence of your higher power. So now I'm back to my conversation with my guest, Marilyn Davis, and um, Marilyn, again, is sharing with us about spiritual purpose, about making choices. So, Marilyn, you have an amazing story about uh, finding your purpose. And again, I'll say, you know, purpose comes in tiny bits and it comes in the bigger picture. It's not like one has to have, you know, a big, big thing. Uh, But you do. You have an amazing story. So would you share that with us? Uh, Yes. And and I always kind of ask people to understand that when I talk about this, I, I almost have to step back from it sometimes because it sounds like fiction please mm-hmm. know it's not <laughs> mm-hmm. but I had about 10 months in recovery and my employers at that time were the ones who had, had conducted the intervention on me and they required me to go to two meetings a day so I would go to a noon meeting and an 8 o'clock meeting and this particular celebration, we were having a 74-year-old Native American tell his story. And we don't have a lot of Native Americans in Gainesville, Georgia. So everybody and their brother was all excited about going. And I, unlike most other nights, was running a little bit late. So I was in the back of the room. There were about 150 people there. 
and Greyhawk started telling his story and wove it through the 12 steps of Narcotics Anonymous. And Anna, for the first time, I really understood and and felt the kind of symmetry within the steps. And so I'm back in the back of the room very quietly crying. And as you know, if you've been to any speakers' meetings or of any type, if it's an effective speaker, people always go up and say something to him to them. So when Greyhawk got finished speaking, a lot of individuals were going to go up and talk to him, and I was vain, so I was going to run in the restroom and see if my mascara had run. And all of a sudden, I hear this him say, you. And a bunch of us turned around, and he pointed at me, and he said, are you finally ready to do what you came to this planet to do? And Anna, the only thing I could do is turn around and look behind me. There was no one there. And he said, no, I'm talking to you. And people really started moving away from me like there was something (laughs) wrong with me. (laughs) And you have to understand, Greyhawk was what everybody would picture gray braid, squash blossom necklace. I mean, there was no doubt that this was a Native American. And there was no doubt when he said what he did that there was conviction behind it. And he said, don't you leave. And then everybody kind of, you know, went to him. Well, I checked my mascara and I came back out because I thought, you know, I can really learn a lot from this man. And so I wanted to talk to him for completely self-serving reasons. I wanted to know if I could maybe study with him because we all knew that he was doing Native American teaching lectures at Unity Church there in Gainesville. So after everybody cleared out, he said, I've been looking for you for four months. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know you. (laughs) How can you look for me? And what he said was, Marilyn, I have been doing sweat lodges for a very long time, and in a vision, I was told, pack up your belongings, leave Virginia, go to Gainesville, Georgia, you will find the woman who will open the house of healing for other women. And I looked at him and I said, well, I really hope you find her, (laughs) but can I study with you? Uh Uh-huh. And he said, no, you are her. Well, it's this her that kept being the barrier. I was just a you know, person in recovery trying to get my life turned around. I couldn't be her. But he did agree to see me the next day. And I, again, I said, I'd like to study with you. And he said, no. He said, how old are you now? And I said, I'm 40. And he said, well, you've wasted enough time. You need to get on with your purpose. And we argued for a good month. And I wanted to study with him, but I could not see where I was capable of doing anything. But what I learned in that entire next seven months before I opened North House was when you try and stop something that is, spiritually ordained you can't I put up barriers I didn't have enough time I didn't have any money all of those kinds of barriers that I put up were actually removed not by me and on January the 1st 1989 I went to study with Greyhawk and he said you need to go in the restroom and check your war paint which is what he always called women's makeup And he said, because you're going to be interviewed by the paper about your house. And I said, how can you do that to me? I don't have a house. I don't even have a name. And he said, then you better go in that restroom and you better ask your higher power to guide you. And so here I am in Shoney's restroom saying, okay, please help. And what came to me was North. And North in many Native American teachings is the direction of rest, renewal, and cleansing. 
And if you think about what recovery is, it is rest. We are stopping our use. It is cleansing those things within us that are self-destructive, self-defeating, or harmful to others. And it is renewing a contact with a power greater than ourselves or, in some cases, finding one for the first time. So when I came out, I could talk about this women's recovery home called North House and realized that is accurate. Now, what you need to know, I didn't have a house, but three weeks later when I was, in quote, lost, looking for more property, um, and I'd already looked at 16 houses and, and most people turned me down, because they didn't want a bunch of uh, junky women living in it, I found the house. It actually ended up being on North Avenue. So there's a whole, you know, cosmic lesson in that that I don't know that I completely understand, but I do know that in 1990, when I opened North House, I was ready to fulfill the purpose that that I thought that I could do, and that was just simply to share what I had done in my addiction, share what I had done to change, and to provide women with a place that they could begin their inner healing. Mm-hmm. How'd you get the money to open it? Well, Greyhawk <laughs> went to my dad's. And he said, Walter, you supported Marilyn in her addiction, whether you know it or not. Are you willing to support her um, in in her recovery and other women's recovery? And my dad thought about it, and he said, no, I won't give it to her this time, but I will co-sign a loan for her. And so next thing I know, I got a call at at work, and my dad said, meet me at the bank. And I had no idea what it was about. And we got there, and he said, uh, Marilyn, you know, this is my loan officer. Tell him how much you think you need to open that house. And I'm like, oh, great. That was my kind of ace in the hole, Anna, you know, that I couldn't financially do it. But it's other things. I told Greyhawk, I said, I don't have enough time. I wrote the program director where I had been in treatment. 15 months prior, knowing that he was going to write back and say, you don't have enough time. And I got a nice, you know, on letterhead, um, you know, congratulations, somebody has to do this, glad it's you, letter from him. So each and every time I would create a barrier, it would just be taken down. Hmm. Marilyn, what was happening? I remember telling Greyhawk at one point in time, I just sort of said, okay, I'm resigned. I'm going to do this just to shut you up. You know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So we don't always we don't always know our purpose sometimes until somebody else nudges us in the direction. You know, and I think that happens for a lot of people in early recovery. They don't necessarily understand their potential, if you will. Because Mm -hmm. here again, they've made so many poor choices recently. So I see value in people and really try and nurture that. I mean, I do make sure that it's something that they're interested in. But to nurture those kinds of things and to help people actualize their, their purpose, to me, is just one of the most rewarding things. Right. What was happening in you over this course of, of these months from when you first met Greyhawk and he says, you know, fulfill your purpose and all this? Because there must have been internal changes in your understanding of yourself for you to end up actually opening the house. The outer things happened, but what was going on inside of you, Marilyn? Well, I have always written. I mean, I'm one of those, you know, young kids diary sort of thing. And Greyhawk kept asked me to see some of my early recovery writing, and I showed it to him. And it would be where I would, 
I was reflecting on changes and reflecting on maybe a Louise Hay passage I'd read or something in a meditation book and exploring that and seeing how it might be applicable for me and how I could make some changes. And after Greyhawk read them one time, he said, you know, Marilyn, he said, you have a voice. You need to speak for other women who cannot. And I thought at that moment, okay, I can do that. You know, I wasn't sure whether I could really run a house or not, but I thought, you know, I can advocate. I can speak. So I need to use that talent to help with, and and believe me, Anna, there was much more stigma in 1990. Um, I also realized that I could present a kind of non-threatening posture, if you will, to the general public. So shortly after I opened North House, then I started speaking to um, service organizations and things like that. And oftentimes I would ask people, tell me what a drug addict looks like. And it would be the typical under the bridge and uneducated and, you know, all those kinds of typical things. And I would let them go on, and then I would say, I am a drug addict. And that was really empowering for me to help educate the community. That, And, of course, now we know that one in seven people in this country is an addict or an alcoholic, and, and one in four people is impacted. Mm-hmm. It is everywhere, and we look just like your mother, brother, sister, cousin. So back in 90, it was a little bit different. But it was a role that I could I could do and I could feel confident in it. Mm-hmm. And then that writing really came about, and tears came about because I would say something to someone but I couldn't always remember if I had said it to that one because, in a you know, when you have a non-static population and you're saying pretty much the same thing, you can, I just couldn't always remember who I'd said it to. So out of self-defense, I started writing everything. And then that way I could hand it off to, you know, to one of the residents and know that they'd gotten whatever, you know, I deemed the message that day. And so the writing of tears as a curriculum did not occur until I closed the house in 2011, but it actually evolved over that 21-year period. And um, with Two Drops, a year and a half ago, um, the editor-in-chief of Two Drops is a good friend of mine, and Scott Bidloff said, Marilyn, start writing about writing. And that was a new venture for me. Um, but it has it has actually opened up a whole new respect for writing. And I'm a, a big proponent of memoir coming from the recovery community. Um, if we, you know, need to examine things, the best way to do that is in writing. And I I now <coughs> can say with with some measure of confidence and, and and joy, if you can, if you can hear me, I'm smiling. Um, that I am a writer, so I've taken all of that recovery and put it into, you know, either from addict to advocate or into tears. Right, and that's T I E R S. Just in case, yes, the listeners, right, and that's your curriculum. You know, Marilyn, as you're talking, what I'm sensing and I is that in a way, your purpose is bigger than North House, bigger than the other things. Your purpose almost sounds like it's about having having a voice, the voice mm-hmm. for recovery, the voice for really, really living, and using that voice to uh, touch other people so they can help find their voice. What do you think? Very much so, but I also know that how something is said is just as important as what is said. So I would encourage anybody who is listening today to submit writing to either 
from addict to advocate or, or to two drops. Because not everybody can hear me. Not everybody can hear you. And so we need more and more people writing about addiction and recovery. And that's one of the things that I've, I've been most excited about over the last three months because I really didn't start the blog until last August. But I now have three new, new writers um, at From Addict to Advocate. And I, one, of, one of the writers said, you know, Marilyn, you're like a cheerleading mom. They get great you know, views and everything, and I'm calling them up and saying, whoa, you got 300 views today. Even if it surpasses mine, I don't care. That means 300 people read something about recovery today, and perhaps they'll go ahead now and make changes. It sounds like the old, you know, Brett commercial or something, but, you know, one person told one person who told one person. But that's mm-hmm. exactly how healing and change and choice and recovery are spread. So, yes, I really, yes, I'm a voice, but I'm only one of many. Mm-hmm. And and you, as you're saying, and you support other people in yeah. finding their voice. And wow, that's really powerful. You know what you're saying, Marilyn, too, about the way things are said, or about or about what is said in your work with women. One of the big interests that all people have, and women in a particular way, is about the relationship with their families. And mm-hmm. in recovery, whether it's the woman that herself is is recovering from substance abuse and or whether the woman is a person who had uh, was, you know, the family member of somebody in that family that had the disease of, of alcoholism or addiction, women are concerned about their families. And I know you've been able to share some things about your family experience that's very helpful to women and help them find a voice in that. Would you share some of that with us? Well... When I ran down to Georgia in 1985, my children did not come with me because I had given them back to their dad. And the South is, you know, motherhood is second only to, and this is not said in a derogatory manner, please don't anybody get offended, but it is second only to you know, Jesus down here. And I came down here as a mother with no children. And I came in February so I could buy a little bit of time why I didn't have my children with me. But when school was out, people questioned me, why don't you have your children? And it's only bad people who don't have their children. No, it is addicted moms who are making poor choices. And my daughters are both in recovery with 22 years and 15 years. And we have been in therapy and all of us in recovery, we have reconstructed a relationship. I will never have those years back with my daughters, Anna. And that is that is a sadness. That is that is sad, but my daughters and I um, have come to some closure and resolution on things, and neither of my daughters had their children until after they got into recovery, and my daughters have given me the gift of allowing me to be a nana to my grandkids when I could not be a mom, and to let women know that, A, we can make those kinds of horrible choices and not be there for our children and choose drugs over our children, Um, but we can heal from that, and our children can heal from that. There will always be. There's a great quote, and I can't think of it right now, but it talks about, and it's probably a Dolly Parton thing. I think she wrote a song about a quilt you know Mm -hmm. some of those pieces of material in that quilt are kind of stained and they're a little bit ugly but they're part of the whole and it makes that is a part of our life quilt if you will some of those memories are stained and kind of ugly 
but we have a live quilt together. So, you know, we have we have got to be able to say to people, you've made bad choices and you've made mistakes. Don't make another one. Let's get you into recovery. And I love working with families to watch that kind of, you know, reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's real powerful. Yep, there can be. Can, there can be healing. Not every mm-hmm. family reconciles, but I think that all families, if you know, that can do some do some of that recovery work, at least find peace yeah. in themselves. Yeah. Well, and sometimes people don't need to get back together. You're correct. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think, and then we're getting into you know forgiveness. Forgiveness is not always for the other person. It, it is oftentimes for us to be able to get on with our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. I want to get back to Greyhawk because I know you had some other adventures with him. He he supported you and encouraged you to get North House, this recovery house for women, started. And mm-hmm. then um, he, he was kind of tough with you, though, right? He would kind of confront you about things, wouldn't he? Oh, he was. Um, we would meet every day at Shoney's after work. <laughs> I got there one day earlier than he did, and we usually sat in the same, you know, section. And um, the waitresses loved to have us because we would just get coffee. But we would sit there for two hours, and we would tip accordingly, and all they really had to do was refill our cup. And, I got, like I said, I got there early one day, and the waitress came up, and she said, is that old Indian going to make you cry today? <laughs> and I kind of laughed, and I said, well, he might. You know, and she said, well, I just think he's really mean. And I said, no. I said, he really brings truth, you know, out and and forces me sometimes to look at something. I said, and other times I'm crying because I, I have been genuinely touched by something. I said, it's not all... You know, not all tears are because we're sad. I said some of the tears are actually because I'm relieved or I'm grateful or whatever. But yeah, he was he was kind of a taskmaster. But as he said, I'm 74. I don't know how long I have on the planet. Let's get busy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, you it, it was a kind of infectious, if you will, um, drivenness. And I think the other. Really humorous story about Greg Hawk. I, I had referenced it a minute ago. I kept looking for houses and being honest with people about what I was going to do and why I wanted to rent it. And nobody was really willing. And so I found this one house. Well, Anna, I went in. The baseboards were turquoise. The walls were yellow. Um, one room was painted pink. I mean, it just really looked like the Easter Bunny had been there on acid. It was horrible. But I could rent it. And so I called Greyhawk and another friend of mine, and I said, okay, I think I found the place, because that's what I was calling it at that point. And they came, and they started walking through, and I knew the minute I saw his face, you know, that this this was not going to work. And he walked all around, and I just sat down in the middle of the living room floor and kind of waited for him to come back. And he said, you do understand this would take about 300 gallons of kills and then about 500 gallons of paint. And I just started crying. And I said, what do you want? (laughs) You know, and he said, I want you to find the house. So, I mean, there were things like that that in retrospect I can laugh about them because the house was inappropriate, Anna. But they would rent to me. And so, as I said, you know, I think that everything happened the way that it really had to and was going to. Um, but, no, he, he drove me, and he made situations occur, like having the um, paper come and interview me. I would never have done that. But it certainly forced me to come up with a name and kind of a, a, a concept for what that house was going to represent. And it was going to represent rest, renewal, and cleansing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he was, was he an angel to you? Very much what? so. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
Yep. And, <laughs> you know, as he always said, you know, not all angels are fluffy and pink. Think of Michael. He's got a sword. <laughs> so, so, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. some of them were warriors, and, and he was really kind of the angel warrior, you know. And when those kinds of people come into our lives and they impact us, um, we need to all pay attention. Right. They're there for a purpose. That's part of their purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he was, or was, like he, he saw your potential and... And wasn't going to rest until you would catch on to it. Yeah. It was a process. It sounds like it was a process. And, you know, and I had a couple of conversations with Greyhawk. I said, look, you've been at Unity doing, you know, Native teachings. I said, how do you know I am her? You know, haven't you met spiritual women there, you know? And and he said, because, he said, you are willing to own your flaws. And that has always stuck with me. See, if we're not willing to own those flaws, we don't give anybody else permission to own theirs and heal from them. Mm-hmm. So... As we're nearing the end of our time here today on the program, Marilyn, what would you uh, say to people as they're discovering their spiritual purpose? And what would you say? Don't be afraid of it. Really, Mm -hmm. do not be afraid of it. Um, We are some of the greatest risk takers that I know. Um, we put ourselves in risky situations in our addiction. And the principle of the fourth step is courage. We have a tremendous amount of courage within all of us. We've just used it inappropriately in our addiction. And when you, when you feel impassioned about something and you, you find that purpose, don't be afraid of it. And if people are telling you that you have the potential to do something or you can accomplish something, trust them. I mean, the average person is not going to just say, wow, you've got the potential to do this just for grins. So all of us have one. We, we just either have to find it ourselves or have someone like a mentor who, who can help direct us. Does that help answer that yes. one, Anna? Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely but it it's does. it's more about don't be afraid of it. Use the risk-taking that's inherent in every addict I've ever known and be courageous enough to follow it. All right. Good thought. Powerful. Thank you, Marilyn. Thanks for being my guest, and thank you for following your purpose and having the courage to do that. And for, thank you for being the voice. Appreciate your work on this planet. Thank you, Anna. Same to you. Thank you. Listeners, thanks for being with us today. And I know you are all also finding your purpose and are on purpose. Thanks for being with us today. Have a wonderful week, and we'll be back next week on Spirit of Recovery. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, Ph.D., and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central Time for down-to-earth ideas about keeping spirituality at the heart of your recovery. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at soulmatters-spiritworks.org.
God is formless, yet takes many forms. What goes around comes around. Chant the name of the Lord and be free. No one comes to the Father except through me. Ever been confused by the variety and apparent contradiction within world religions? Join Reverend Paul John Roach every Tuesday for insight into those principles held in common by all the great religious traditions in world spirituality, exploring the unity within all cultures and faith traditions. Using discussions, interviews, humor, insight, and practical advice, we will clarify the confusion and reveal simple yet profound truths. Call in with your questions and ideas and help break down the barriers that separate us from one another. That's World Spirituality with Paul John Roach, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.